Hello and welcome to the Digital Works podcast, the podcast about digital stuff in the cultural sector. My name's Ash and today's episode, episode number 21, is a conversation with Patrick Fox. Patrick is the CEO of Heart of Glass and Heart of Glass are a collaborative and social arts agency based in St Helens, which is in Merseyside in the UK. Patrick and I talked about loads of stuff, how they have engaged with digital activity over the pandemic, how that's changed their thinking about how they make and share work, the role of digital in community-based practice, uh, how you can create serendipity or not with digital experiences and lots more. Enjoy. So thank you so much for joining us today, Patrick. Um, And maybe as a start, if you could tell us about Heart of Glass, what do you do? What is your focus? What does your work involve? Yeah, so we're we're Heart of Glass. We are an agency for collaborative and social art practice. Um, kind of, there's a lot of terminology around those fields of work, but I suppose in a nutshell, what we do is support artists and communities in the broad sense to um, bring their relevant experiences of the world, knowledge together to create new work together. Um, so the kind of focus is always on the the making of work. Um, going on a kind of journey together, usually some sense of of inquiry or subject that um, the kind of artists and community kind of pivot around um, in order to make new work. So we've been in existence since 2014. We were founded as part of the Creative People and Places programme, which is Arts Council England's um, kind of national action research programme. And we've since become part of the national portfolio. Um, and we maintain our, our membership of the Creative People and Places Network. So we're based in St. Helens in Merseyside, um, which is equidistant between Liverpool and Manchester, a kind of post-industrial town of about 180,000 people. Um, that's a big focal point of our, our work, um, particularly within the Creative People and Places programme, but we also work across the Northwest um, and increasingly national and, and international. Um, but the kind of focus of our work is, is like I mentioned, supporting artists and communities to go on creative journeys together um, and to, for work to be realised in, in all manner of locations and, and spaces. Um, and then also looking at the kind of supports that are needed um, or the kind of professional development gaps that might exist for artists who work in this way. Um, I know that nationally within um, the art sector in, in the UK and, and indeed internationally, there's a much more of a turn towards a kind of a civic sense of responsibility or work that could be described as as kind of activist in nature or kind of small P, big P political. So and um, quite often our observation is that artists who work in this way normally work in isolation and outside of institutional frameworks um, and therefore maybe don't receive the, the kind of supports that they might need. So a lot of our work also focuses on the kind of critical thinking around this field of work. So what does it mean to make, what does it mean to to co-author work? What does it mean to, to make work in social and community settings? What are some of the professional development gaps that we might need? What are some of the conceptual considerations? So there's a kind of a thinking and doing elements to our work. So our kind of mantra is that we don't want to do too much without thinking or kind of think too much without doing. So we're, we're kind of commissioning work, we're supporting artists, but then we're also kind of hovering above that and 
asking ourselves what supports could we provide um, for people who who choose to work in this way and that everyone from artists to allies to producers to other organizations to partners across the sector really so um the kind of program and breaks down into into professional development areas of work residencies uh, commissions kind of more festival approaches um, across art forms so it's a um, very broad range and um, no two projects are the same and um, it makes us have to ask interesting questions about audience journey and um, we're not a venue so we work in between different spaces and locations in the places that we call homes that can be everything from on the street and the public realm to empty shops to community centers to health settings and um, to all kind of manner of, of, of weird and wonderful um, locations that we find ourselves in so yeah it's a it's a it's a you know we're relatively new um although we're probably coming to the point now where we we can't claim that mantle anymore because we're we're nearly seven years in, in existence um so um but you know have been really fortunate to to work on some really fantastic brilliant projects with with a variety of artists and communities and, and kind of feel to, that we're part of a of maybe a, a kind of change or a kind of reckoning in the sector which acknowledges um some of the some of the limitations or deficits that that have existed historically in terms of who gets to be part of the making of meaning um, and what supports we can put in place to ensure that there is a variety of voices around the table um, and that art can be part of um i suppose the the, the you know a, a change discourse you know in terms of what tomorrow might look like if we if we designed it together and I think that point is, you know, it's one of the reasons I wanted to to chat with you really is the way that you engage with people and communities and artists feels very different. You take a very different approach. Um, and it feels like, you know, as you say, you, you work in unusual spaces, you work in abandoned spaces, you work in sort of communal spaces. And it feels like, maybe I'm wrong, but the idea of serendipity feels quite important to people experiencing your work because they're not in invert heavy inverted commas traditional cultural audiences and you're not performing in again inverted commas traditional cultural spaces so that idea of happenstance and serendipity and people coming across your work feels important and i'm interested to to hear about a if that's the case and b how that can start to be moved into a into a digital space because digital is great at lots of things but it's really terrible at serendipity yeah it's an interesting one i mean i mean i think from 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 the outset we've always wanted to be part of um the kind of civic life of the place that we we call home or or the the context that we find ourselves in as opposed to the arts world um, so that kind of sometimes means that we're at meetings that you can think why am I at this meeting about waste management or town centre development or you know we, we kind of find ourselves you know going to to the the places or situations that are are kind of the topics of interest um in in, in all of our lives and uh, in our communities' lives as opposed to it being from the point of um we're an arts organization that we want to encourage people to come into us it's much more of a kind of a um us kind of meeting people halfway or or in the, the places that they find themselves in and it, what's interesting we work with an, um, a long-term research partner with uclan university and they kind of have described our kind of 
audience model, I suppose, is an inverted pyramid of what a traditional arts organization might look like, where, and you'll know this, and we all know this, where you have an arts organization that creates an offer and then tries to encourage people um, or to think about how they can get a broader sense of, of audience engagement beyond the kind of the cultural kind of um, groupings who normally frequent arts events or venues. Whereas we're almost the opposite of that in the sense that we kind of don't necessarily have that traditional baseline of arts audience. It really starts from the kind of donut ring of who we're making the work with. And then the kind of outer ring of that donut is their friends and families and personal networks. And then the kind of outer ring of that donut, again, is a more general audience and how we mediate the stories of that work to people beyond the people who are involved in it, really. So it's a, it's definitely a different type of of challenge um, um but also a kind of really richly rewarding one because audience development and connection feels very organic in that way um but it is it's it's it definitely flies in the face of some of the more traditional norms of how you reach audiences of people because we're essentially a moving target um and we're constantly kind of you know popping up here there and everywhere and sometimes there might not be a very obvious thread of what that work is. So people might encounter a Heart of Glass project, but they'll encounter that project as, um, you know, the, on the specificity of what that project is. And they might not even relate that back to us as an organization because what they're encountering is a manifestation of work. Um, and then the other thing I think that is an interesting challenge for us is, um, you know, the old process product debate you know that that looms large in in the arts world is to give as equal value to the making of work as it is to the kind of art object or thing that's made at the end because quite often for us and it's a really privileged position to be in the kind of richness is in the relationships and and dynamics that sit around the making of work and that's very hard to make visible um, because they're quite often personal, they're quite often, you know, if you were to try and create a kind of a, an aesthetic for that, it would just look like groups of people around a table with cups of tea. And that's not very interesting as a kind of secondary audience member. Um, but it does, it does kind of raise some different interesting challenges for us about how we can create meaningful engagements with the process of making work as well as the, the end result, um, which I do feel that that digital has a, has a real role to play in for us. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we've been interested in, which is something we hope to, to begin to research in, in the kind of coming coming months and years is, you know, quite often I'll get a phone call from someone who says, you know, I heard some really interesting stuff about Heart of Glass. Can I come and, and visit? And so they'll come on, you know, a wet Tuesday in April. And if, and if nothing's happening, there's nothing to see. Um, so we have been talking a little bit about how we could create some form of of kind of archive that could be like almost like a digital overlay of of our town or the places that we work so that people could encounter you know high quality um but and, and meaningful documentation or traces of things that happened in different locations so that if they did come on a you know a wet tuesday in april that there was still some sense of encounter that they could have um as opposed to just the the live moment so there's there's real opportunities there i mean i think you know covid definitely set the cat amongst the pigeons in terms of the engagement aspect of work um but it's also made us think a little bit more about how we create those different different touch points for for people um through through kind of kind of digital tools i mean obviously from everything you've said and everything i've read the in person personal uh relationships networks experiences that you are a part of are central to your to your work 
Um, and so I don't think you're ever going to be an organization that uh, pivots 100% to digital. And there's all sorts of questions about digital exclusion as well, which we'll get onto in a minute. But what, how is digital useful for you as an organization? I mean, both, I guess, historically, prior to March 2020, and then how has it been, has it been useful for you over the past 18 months? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one for us. I mean, if I to look at it from a I say a creative people and places lens. So the creative people and places funding is is geographic specific. So we're looking at the borough of St. Helens and that kind of populace. Um, and obviously when people are engaging digitally, the geographic boundaries are, are kind of um, less important. So we've been really trying to dig into what would um specificity around geography and digital look like and how could we how, how could we make those connections and and I don't think we're we're at a at a solution phase at the moment but you know things like um pre-existing groups that exist around you know St Helens histories or particular communities of interest um or are kind of going to to very active um kind of forums or online spaces where people from that particular community congregate um, but beyond that, in our more broader work, I think, you know, we do we, we do a lot of work that connects to themes or topics where there are very, very um, visible or tangible communities of interest nationally and internationally. So, for example, one of our long term projects is a um, podcast series called The Mic Drop um, by Refugees for Refugees. Um, and of course, that has a has a, a reach that is beyond just Merseyside. I mean, that that there there are themes and topics that are quite universal to the experience of people seeking refuge and asylum and, and trying to connect beyond um, beyond that and think about the channels that we could be could be promoting work in 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 that way. So I think you know there's there's a mix. I mean, I think with with you know COVID, what was interesting for us was you know, we didn't want social distance to mean social retreat. So for us, it was really about maintaining relationships and then really understanding the specific needs of the communities that we were working with. So in some aspects that might have been, um, you know, gaps in digital literacy and what training we could provide or supports we could provide to allow people to have to continue to engage with us or the projects that they were working on. Um, other barriers, you know, felt much more financial. It might have been around data packages to support different groups so that they weren't utilising all of their own kind of um, limited data resources that they might need for other reasons in their life so that, that you know, participation in a project or engagement wasn't going to make them suddenly digitally vulnerable in another aspect of their life. Um, and, you know, all of those, all of those contacts remained and you know, digital was a really valuable tool for us to maintain those those connections. Um, and then, of course, increasingly, we've been presenting work um, pretty much exclusively online, um, which, again, you know, posed a, another kind of set of challenges for us in terms of, I suppose, giving projects the, the space or room to breathe and to find audiences. I mean, to be honest with you, we still have a backlog of digital content that was produced from last year, that we're trying to kind of drip feed because you know you know we have a fairly new website which is great and it is 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 kind of flexible in terms of output but um we can't just lash everything online and then just hope you know it will it will it will find you know it's it, it's it's people or it's its audience it's really just trying to spend time with each of those bits of of content that have been created think about 
the kind of audience journey who might want to connect with that and then how they might want to um, reconnect with us in response to that work um, and it's just it's a it's a it's a big job um, and something that isn't um, you know for an organization of our size something that we um, have had to really kind of pivot and, and reshape capacities around in order to, to be able to do that but I think what it's done for us is really opened up um, a real connection between the kind of um, the local and, and global um, which can be really really powerful and and to be part of a, a a broader community or a broader discourse or a broader alliance I think can mean that you can focus on things that are happening in in your life or in your locale in much more solidarity with the experience of of others which actually can be can be really um uh, comforting but also energizing um I, I was involved many many years ago in a project in a previous role at fact in liverpool which was um, an internet television channel um, run by older people living in high-rise flats across merseyside um, and the project began in in 1999 which doesn't feel that long ago but also was before facebook before twitter before instagram before social media um, and and these residents in their high-rise flats would broadcast um, discussions and projects online via a thing called Real Player, um, which was a thumbnail-sized kind of broadcast, but really bad quality sound video. But the 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 act of broadcasting was such a powerful kind of uh, gesture or suggestion in terms of of there being a potential audience that it really energized that group of people and, and led to some really interesting changes in their lived experience within social housing at the time and accountability for people who were decision makers who were, you know, um, you know I remember there was one particular scandal around asbestos um, in, in some of the tower blocks and, and this the person who was working at the Housing Association at the time was interviewed live on this project called Tenant Spin and it was broadcast probably four people watching but the fact that it was said in that domain and was broadcast meant that it had a different type of accountability than what it would if it was in a closed doors meeting and you know the minutes weren't captured properly it just created another type of of kind of um connection to to an other uh, which was really powerful so i do think that there is um something really powerful about that kind of potential of a of a kind of broader audience or or, or a global audience that um is is a kind of untapped untapped resource and, and also you know things once they exist they're they're there for the long term and you know we, we're having a lot of conversations about revisiting projects or or, or re-spotlighting things depending on global events or, or kind of discourse that's happening in the kind of zeitgeist at that particular moment because it's not finished you know those things still have resonance and still have have agency in those conversations um which again is a different model i think or or kind of rhythm of working for arts organizations when you normally um work within the cycle of produce outputs move on next thing next thing next thing and i think actually what we're trying to do is build layers of of, of conversation that kind of add depth and richness so um which is good in one sense in that you don't feel like you have to capture everything in that one moment um but it also does mean that you have to have a longer term kind of thinking about how you see projects through for the for the long term and i think that idea of community is it, it all, <laughs> digital enabling connection beyond the sort of physically close or geographically close communities that exist you know that's been a really interesting um discourse that seems to have emerged 
more strongly over the past year and a half, you know, people mentioning that perhaps I read an article, you know, young people in Bradford perhaps more have more in common with young people in Detroit than they do with, you know, young people just up the road in, in Leeds or somewhere like that. Um, but also, as you've said, those community driven, connection driven projects don't have a neat endpoint. And so therefore, for organisations like Heart of Glass, how do you think about that work and think about your archive as a sort of cumulative body of work that needs ongoing attention whilst you're also focusing on the next new thing? Is, is that a challenge? It is a challenge. It is a challenge. And, and you know, and I, and I don't think it's something that we, I mean, I think we all probably feel across the team a sense of maybe frustration is the wrong word but a sense that actually if if we had the time and resources and we weren't wedded to the kind of national funding cycles that we're wedded to that we could spend more time with kind of thinking about about content and and work in different ways but i also you know i also think this is this is a life's work it's 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 longitudinal you know we're, we're not going anywhere this is this is about kind of building layers of 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 meaning um so you know in that sense you know we've got all the time in the world because actually you know this isn't a short-term commitment you know some of our projects there's one project that we're working on which is a a 12-year residency um we you know we're based where we're based you know we're we're not um we're part of a a long-term set of conversations with our communities in in many and varied ways um, so it's 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 almost like continued conversation, um, as opposed to it being kind of um, the kind of extraction model of we've done that project now we need to move on to the to the next group. Um, it's really just about kind of layers and kind of digging in digging in in further. Um, so so I kind of I I personally think of it in a in a much longer term cycle really that that you could suddenly be building really compelling stories around particular themes or subject over a long period of time and, and at different points there might be reasons to gather that content or that information or that work that's been created into a body of work and, and represent it in a different type of way and um, so so I think that opportunity always always exists I think the challenge that we've got within a kind of publicly subsidized art world is that you know rightly or wrongly um it's the it's the the shock of the new is the thing that people want to fund. People want to be part of the next story and not not the continued story. Um, so I think that that is that's a challenge I think for the sector to have to to reckon with really. Um, and also you know that that work. I mean particularly I would say socially engaged practice. I mean one of the things that I feel really passionate about, particularly around in the kind of digital sphere, is that I I would argue that socially engaged practice is 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 you know the the kind of the defining practice of our of of our times you know it's it's something that more and more artists are choosing to work in this way we're seeing you know things like mainstream things like the turner prize all kind of pivoting towards a different type of kind of artistic labor and, and rhythm that acknowledges a broader set of values and experiences and yet that work isn't it's not collectible um, you know, it's not something that when we look through the pages of art history and we see these these kind of decades of work, it will be harder to place that work because it's not as easy to capture. So I think that's an interesting challenge for us, because what I would hate to see is when we're retrospectively looking back on some of these projects that they 
by virtue of the fact of they're harder to to see the edges of that they just don't exist in the kind of canon of of, of art history um, so I think that that is that's that's an interesting challenge I think for this practice because it's not about a singular voice or a singular experience it's about multiple different perspectives kind of coalescing into into you know whether that be a performance or an exhibition or a public arts intervention and and everyone's kind of it's like the beach ball it's like if I'm looking at a beach ball and you're looking at a beach ball you'll see a yellow stripe and I'll see a red stripe but actually if we're able to look at it at a distance we'll see the entirety of the thing um, and I think that that's the challenge I think for socially engaged practice is that um, there, there's so many different views or vantage points that makes it almost a, an impossible task to capture in a, in, a, in a full way but that doesn't mean it didn't happen um, so I think that that is an interesting it's an interesting challenge that I do think, um, you know, as as kind of technology and digital tools advance, and there's more of a, um, you know, uh, the, that, that te those technologies or those tools have met the margins more. I think there's more opportunity for us to to really kind of fully, fully tell tell stories in a in a much more um, polyvocal way than we have um, in the past. Yeah, and I think you know that is, digital is good at capturing and documenting. That is one of the things is it lends itself to as a canvas. But something you you touched on earlier, and I I sort of want to dig into a bit more is uh, the idea of digital exclusion. You know, digital can be great for opening up access. It can make cultural experiences uh, far easier to engage with for lots of different types of people. But also, as you've mentioned, for reasons of digital literacy, for reasons of economic barriers, for reasons of, um, you know, sort of social norms, there are barriers to digital engagement. And I'd be interested to hear about your perspective on that. You know, I'm sure you have a much more nuanced and informed perspective on that than, than I do. And also your perspective, if you have one, on how we as a sector might go about starting to engage with dismantling some of those barriers? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have some, 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 yeah, particular views on that. I mean, I, I think what was interesting about the last, um, not to get too, too politically heavy, but I remember in the last election cycle, one of a, a you know, a campaign um, promise was around universal broadband that that was really in, in kind of mainstream media was kind of mocked quite widely. Um, and I remember being on, on kind of um, calls with cultural sector colleagues and, and um, department colleagues um, at the outset of COVID. And, and suddenly this idea of universal broadband as a, as a kind of human right um, was on the table again. And it was like, well, actually, you know, it was interesting that a couple of years ago, that was that was something that was a, a, a kind of folly and a luxury and, you know, magic money trees and blah, blah, blah. But actually, you know, that is, it, it is part of, of, of um, you know, uh, an equality agenda. You know, the fact is, is that if you don't have certain tools available to you, there are certain services that you just cannot access. Um, regardless of, of the kind of arts and cultural sector, I mean, that's, an, that's another... Um, agenda that that we're simultaneously having conversations about how we widen participation and engage more people whilst also then not having the really real conversation about what those fundamental barriers are of which um digital exclusion is is one so i think that you know it's 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 a broader conversation that i think needs to be tackled that is linked to to kind of democratic deficits and, and inequality in in this country and and obviously globally 
And, you know, I think that that is something that I think we as a sector can be much more um, part of of shining a a spotlight on. I mean, I think for us in terms of organizationally as a tactic, I think what we've always looked at is is a kind of is a is is a mixed ecology. You know, I think we're really, really conscious of the fact that um, digital is not a kind of catch all um, audience tool or engagement tool and actually what's been interesting for us over the last 18 months is looking at increasingly presenting um, work and opportunities online but then also going to things like local radio local newspapers and having that mix of kind of analog and digital to really try and and make sure that the bases are are covered because we're really really conscious of the fact that there are the barriers that that you've listed and maybe more that that to do with the specificity of different communities that we might not even be fully aware of around accessibility or or, or other issues. So I think, you know, there, there's there's some interesting, I think there's been an interesting kind of learning moment over the last year, and I'd really like to see that be pulled through into a new version of what normal might look like or a new recognition that actually, you know, social isolation for many, many members of our community wasn't a new experience in the last year and a half, actually. It was just, it was just that more people were involved in the experience. Um, and I think when we're, when we're thinking about building back better or, you know, I'm doing inverted commas here for the, for the benefit of the podcast, you know, I think we need to be, to be thinking about, well, who, who doesn't get left behind actually. Um, so, and then even, even further than that, you know, we've, we've been talking a lot about we have, um, when we do in, in person public events, we have a, a safer spaces policy. Um, which is really just about our kind of commitment to one another in a space together and what ex- what behavior is acceptable and what's not and how you know what, what our kind of code of conduct that we all kind of sign up to um, whilst interacting with one another and that's different again online when you're having kind of group meetings and 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 you're staring at a box on a screen and you haven't got those kind of um human cues of being like in the queue for the tea and coffee with someone or you know it it just feels it can feel very transactional and you can kind of strip away some of the the lighter moments that allow you to build connectivity with a group of people Um, and it's something I've been I've been super aware of um even just on on a personal level but but also as we're doing kind of group meetings or, or workshops online or conferences online that um that you have to work harder to allow people to feel like they're part of a of a collective because um, it can can be, it can feel quite lonely there in your little box, kind of staring back at your own kind of um, avatar and the in the in the in the kind of you know the mix of of fifty hundred different faces. So there's a lot there's a lot there actually. But I think the the basics for me is just about is is let's get access right, and then think about the the layers of different needs that different communities may or may not have in order to create a level playing field. You know that is 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 about equality but also equity um because if we're if we're creating further barriers um within already systems that that have um exclusion built into them then that's that's that cannot be a good thing um, and that has to be something we have to be really really aware of um but i do think the arts and cultural sector is part of a of a bigger discourse but i think we could be better at um amplifying some of those some of those tensions and some of those needs um in a, in a much more succinct way yeah i think you know especially as as we build back better uh and digital becomes more a part of every aspect of life you know whether that's education healthcare, um you know shopping for groceries accessing support services whatever it might be it seems like digital is now 
either the primary way method of access or the only way of accessing some of these things that there has to be more universality around access to the internet and it not being a financial burden on households for their children to be able to go to school as it has been over the past 18 months and it's complex isn't it i mean one of the interesting things that you know that has been a real learning for 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 me and i think for us as an organization is that at the outset of a project you know whether that be artist or community or whoever's involved we we try and have very um rigorous kind of conversations about access needs so that could be everything from you know the subject matters that might be triggering for someone or particular access needs that someone an individual or, or a group may have and um, but what was interesting about the digital space is that sometimes those access needs can be in in conflict with one another so you know i remember one instance where we have um someone who who's on a on a real steep learning curve around digital literacy who had just got to grips with a particular platform and somebody else who was on another part of the kind of journey of digital literacy who was interrogating the kind of ethics of that platform and their and their business operations so their request as an access need was actually i don't want to use this platform because i feel that they are part of human rights violations or they have a very particular kind of um history within other other kind of um, social justice or political arenas. Whereas for someone else, it was like, I know how to use this. I feel comfortable with it. I can't, the thought of having to learn something else new is really destabilizing for me. And actually they, they, they're completely new considerations um, for us to, to kind of um, take on because there's a lot of kind of low hanging fruit there in terms of platforms that have are, are really well invested in, they've been kind of you know tested rigorously. They work, they're accessible. But actually, if we we're to look at it through another lens, um, they they might not be the the kind of the platform that you would want to align yourself with, um, kind of values wise or or ethically. And I think that that is another. So I mean, it's 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 a minefield. It's complex, and it's and I think. Um, you know, I think these are some of the conversations that are going to be, be starting to, to be had over the next, um, I would say, over the next kind of 12 to 24 months, really, as, as, as we kind of process what's been happening over the last two years. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think I might know the platform you're referring to there, but they shall remain unnamed. But I, I want to move on to sort of thinking about success and how you measure success, because I would imagine that... For your work, the definition of success changes quite significantly from project to project. Have you found also, as you've started to do more in the digital space, that you've had to sort of rethink the lens through which you you view success and sort of compile a framework to judge whether or not your work is doing what you want it to? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of stuff I think that will become just how we, how we, we work now. I mean, we do a, um, an annual conference, um, which has kind of grown year on year since, since we began, and and it's, and typically the, the conference is called, it's called with for about, um, so you know, the reason being that we make work with people for everyone about subjects and themes that are relevant to, to our lives, and and the conference is normally a chance for us to dig into kind of hot topics that that are being experienced within this field of practice on an annual basis so it's not 
it's not about us it's not a showcase it's more about us kind of you know situating conversations um with other people or peers within within this field of practice and, and having conversations together so that we can all kind of learn and grow and those conferences are typically um in-person events and last year sorry what did, i don't even know what year we're in now it was the 20 2020 conference we were just about the week um before before a lockdown um, the first lockdown happened, we were about to publish information about um, the conference that we were presenting that particular year, um, which was going to happen in May. And um, obviously the, the world changed and we and we kind of made a, a, a decision overnight with the artists that we were working with on that particular conference to move it into a digital space. Um, and it all happened all very, very quickly. The kind of broad theme around the conference at the time was around arts and, and mental health, and um, and then it became much more expansive to kind of fold in kind of the COVID experience. And um, but you know the the things that worked really well with that conference is that typically we would be able to have 100, 150 people come to an in person conference, um, and that particular conference, which happened episodically over a number of weeks, um. I think at the time had about 800 people participating and has since kind of been watched by by more people. And we also created a a, a, a pay what you can system. Um, so the, we were able to involve a lot more international collaborators because we weren't having the burden of huge travel costs. Um, you know, if you're hosting 150 people, typically the biggest um, kind of, um, budget lines will be the hosting of 150 people and you know lunch and travel and hotels and venue hire so those things were gone so what we were able to do was to um create that kind of pay as you as you see fit system but also to directly say that that was about supporting um artists who were contributing and, and also connecting into other um uh, kind of um, civil rights organization so that basically when you were whatever you were choosing to pay which could be nothing or it could be you know whatever you felt fit that that money was going directly into uh, causes that were kind of being being discussed um within the context of the conference um so it was just it was it just it it, it kind of it, it exploded into a much more kind of global community it meant we could reach an audience that that we wouldn't typically be able to host um, and it was able to generate resources that were then able to be applied into different situations. So it just felt like a really, um, it, it felt like a really quick learning experience, but also one that that, that was was really beneficial. So you know, this year's conference um, will will exist online with maybe smaller clusters of of in person gatherings. So it'll be much more of a blended approach. Um, but I think you know that was that was really exciting for us that we were able to be in real time with um, communities and artists around the world having conversations about the universal experience of of this kind of global moment and what it meant to us in terms of 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 um, networks of solidarity or the the different experiences or the kind of unequal experience that different communities were were um, experiencing through the, the pandemic in that it wasn't an equal opportunities offender that there were different communities who were experiencing um you know this in a much more severe way linked to broader sets of of inequalities that exist within society so that just felt really it felt like a really important set of conversations and i think opened up a different way of us of us kind of of working that i think we'll we'll take forward um and then that's been kind of replicated with other 
other aspects of 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 work on online you know there was a, a film that we made with a group of young people and a filmmaker around their experience of of their town center which was supported by um uh, the heritage heritage england or sorry historic england um and that project really connected into themes of what it means to be a young person in this country what it means to be um experiencing your town center you know how you know regeneration programs and kind of um, the way that they're being developed and, and how they, they kind of foreground kind of um, or prioritize uh, business or economics and ne- not necessarily thinking about people's experience of, of the place that they call home. And that was able to connect with a much broader set of audiences than had we made that film and done a local screening um, because people were able to, to connect into those themes um, with their own lived experiences in the front of their mind and go, yeah, I understand that experience. And it made the conversation just much more um, universal, which I think is is really exciting, especially if you're, you know, in in a hyper local location in St Helens to suddenly feel the kind of nod of respect or solidarity with someone who's living in, like you mentioned, like in Detroit or or somewhere else in the world, um, is 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 quite a powerful exchange, really. Um, my last question, which I realise I didn't warn you, warn you about in advance, but I, I'm I'm wondering now as we've been in this moment of being on video calls for 18 months and being at home and not getting to connect with people in the same way and even connect with our work in the same way as we would have done prior to the pandemic. What do you, (laughs) you know, if we say we are coming out of this forever changed, what do you feel you've learned? What have you had a chance to reflect on? You know, are there going to be things that you do differently? You know, as we move into 2022, and beyond this doesn't necessarily need to be in relation to digital but sort of what are your pandemic lessons god what, what are my pandemic lessons um i mean that that i'm sick staring at my own face that's probably one pandemic lesson and i'm watching the aging process unfold over the weeks and um, no i mean there's 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 lots really i mean to be honest with you it kind of feels like we're we're um we need to sit with that a bit a bit longer to really think about particularly at an organizational level what those changes may or may look like i mean we've done a lot of stuff that's been very responsive um you know we we did a developed a program of of 51 commissions with artists working essentially at their kitchen table and connecting with communities which became this compendium of care which was a kind of gift by the sector to 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 the world and um, we were much more attuned to what the 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 kind of the ways in which we could support artists and are kind of operate in 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 solidarity in a much more direct way, um, and be a little bit more fleet of foot, I suppose, in that we could. What was really powerful, I think, about um, some of the responses by the by the cultural sector and 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 more broadly was that people were able to refocus their energy to what was important in in the moment as opposed to being wedded to long-term planning cycles. Um, and I think that that is, is, I think, particularly for an organization like ourselves, which is, you know, set up as an agency approach, we want to be uh, in tandem with what's happening and not two years behind. You know, it's, it'll, you know, I think that, that when you're working to, like, exhibition cycles or touring cycles or theatre production cycles, that you kind of see in two years' time, um, a kind of a reverberation of what was happening in in a, in a moment now, whereas I, I feel like we can be much more, um, uh, yeah, in in tandem, I suppose, and I think that's something that we'd like to 
to hold on to organizationally. And I think, you know, more more broadly than that, I think, you know, we're we're always an organization that has been, like I said at the top of the conversation, interested in um, you know, there's there's a terminology that's used in in disability justice around kind of leadership from the margins. So kind of starting with with um, people or groups who, for a variety of reasons, are are kind of uh, displaced or marginalised within the society that we find ourselves in, and I think what's been interesting, and I can't remember who said it now, but someone was saying that that COVID was like a kind of um, like a scan that just went over over the world, and you could kind of really see much more sharply the inequalities that exist within society, um, and I think we all have a responsibility to. Um, uh, yeah, be, to, to recognize those inequalities that have been expressed in a much more explicit way, and be much more active in in fighting to make sure that those things are dismantled or challenged in in whatever platform we have. And I think for us as an organization, um, you know, to be much more explicit in terms of our role within change agendas, I think on a very basic level as well as creating artwork, we're also creating kind of new forms of, of knowledge and experience of the world. And then those experiences are being communicated. And I think making sure that those experiences um, and those sets of knowledge are being communicated in forums where they can affect change feels like an added responsibility, really, so that we're not um, we're not operating in, in isolation. I think I think to, to be much more aware of of our role within kind of broader broader change agenda and operating in solidarity feels even more important i think a tough lesson for the arts and cultural sector i think as as an observer was just how quickly um people kind of lost meaning and function almost immediately you know when the doors closed you know the shutters went up and it was like well if, if your only reason for existing was because you were you were operating within a precarious business model then I think there's some serious questions to ask yourself about what your value is beyond just an economic one. Um, and I think that that is a, I think that's a tough kind of set of questions that, that I think large swathes of the sector are asking themselves, because if, if the question is just about how you can get to a footfall in order to break even on a production and not why are we doing this and who are we doing it for and what are we trying to communicate to the world? I think that that is a there's a there's a different kind of set of, of, of questions there that need to be asked really in terms of of um you know the the role of you know um the arts and cultural sector in in society and in this country i mean you know from my perspective a, a healthy society is one that is um in critical discourse with itself and i think a really strong and and vibrant um, arts and cultural sector can be part of that critical discourse um, and I think that that is something that I think um, I'm gre- I'm seeing a greater sense of 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 demand across the sector to be much more part of of kind of fierce and and urgent conversations. And um, so I think that 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 would be a good thing. My my fear um, would be that you know you know like in um, in Terminator Two when that guy gets a like a hole blown in him and then he kind of grows back and he's almost stronger than ever. Is that we've kind of blown a hole in something here now, and um, and the fear is that it could slowly kind of start to reform, um, almost stronger and more resilient to change than than what it was previously. So I just think keeping keeping those conversations open and keeping those windows, um, those windows of, of potential change open, I think will be will be really important for the next steps. Brilliant. And on on that note, Patrick, thank you so much. 